0: Welcome to the evolution exchange USA podcast. We bring together the best technical leaders to talk about their industry passions and challenges that they are facing. My name is Chris Hopkins and I am here to connect businesses with top data engineering contracting talent. And today I'm your host. I'm joined by an amazing panel today to discuss a topic that should be of interest to all data professionals, which is how will AI impact data engineering moving forward? Before we delve deeper into this topic. Let's go around the room with some introductions. Nisha, would you like to kick us off, please?
1: Awesome. Thank you, Chris, for having us here. Uh, Nisha Padigal. I've been stopped in reverse order. I'm a proud mother to two very beautiful girls, 18 and 13. Uh, I'm a part of three nonprofit organizations, Bullion Girls, Code VA and Wings for Growth, what a mission to advance women in tech. That's my mission, professionally and personally. Um, I'm also a co-author of a book, on Artificial Intelligence, about to come out in summer. And this topic couldn't be close to my heart, Chris. Thank you so much for a perfect topic. And for full time, if I still have time, I lead enterprise data platforms for Capital One, and I am located in McLean, Virginia. Uh, This topic of artificial intelligence has been close to my heart for the longest time, The reason is I'm in data, AI, technology, of course. However, this passion that I have to re everybody professionally and personally requires a platform that can scale at a global level. So I am looking to mechanize some of the diversity and inclusion and belonging topics across the tech industry and across global footprint. So I definitely need AI. So looking forward to learn from all of you today.
0: Perfect. Thanks for that, Nisha. Harry, on to yourself.
2: Yeah, so thanks, Chris, for having me today. Um, my name is Harry Subramanian, and uh, I've had uh, over three decades of experience in the technology industry. So right now, I work at Cigna. I've spent the better part of the last decade at Cigna, and in my current role—I lead a, a clean processing ecosystem for a couple of lines of businesses. Uh, I also have led enterprise data engineering and enterprise data integration teams in my past roles here at Cigna. And that's what, you know, leads me to, uh, a, a, a lot of interesting conversation on this topic, but, you know, in terms of AI, you know, I have something interesting sh- to share, just like Nisha said, uh, I we, mean, uh, looking at, at this for a very long time, you know, in fact, more than 30 years ago, when I was in college, um, our project, you know, which, is, which was required as part of graduation, was interestingly how to use artificial intelligence to analyze electrocardiograms. And we did this, you um, know, programming language called Lisp using a PC XT with 64 kilobytes of memory. So I thought I'd share that fun fact. Uh, just just to show you know how far we've all come from a technology standpoint. So uh, yeah, so that's that's pretty much uh, who I am. I live in Connecticut, um, and in terms of my passion, you know, work, uh, I enjoy working with teams, particularly you know mentoring uh, younger talent and building talent. That's been my passion for the last several
3: years. So that's what I do. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Harry. Um, That was uh, uh, another good introduction. And finally, on to yourself, Shamir.
3: Yeah. uh, I'm Shamir Mirza. Uh, I am currently the director of R&D for 7-Eleven, and I work on long-term innovation. Um, Personally, I am a father to two girls. Uh, So, very excited to hear about your mission, Adisha. Um, And have been with 7-Eleven for the last four years, uh, particularly focused on applied computer vision and machine learning projects. Um, have generated a little over 100 patents in this department during that time, particularly focused on creating machine learning systems that are customer-facing at production, uh, typically at the intersection of hardware, software, um, and machine learning, right? Being able to serve those inferences in real time. My passion largely lies in creating real-time machine learning systems, especially uh, edge and hybrid cloud uh, systems and deploying them at scale to impact a very large uh, number of customers
0: awesome excellent thanks uh thanks a lot for those intros guys um i feel pretty privileged to to be uh, able to conduct the conversation today given those intros and the topic that we're talking about Um, it seems that you guys um, are going to be able to offer um, a lot of insight so let's move on to the first topic that we wanted to talk about today which is associated to the talent domain. Um, Now, obviously with myself and Evolution specializing in data orientated recruitment, this is a topic that kind of spreads across the whole panel, um, including myself. So, um, and I know that multiple uh, guests were keen to kind of bring this into the conversation. So there's two questions that I wanted to ask today. The first would be, how will AI impact skill sets in the future? And then Secondly, for those starting their careers in the AI, ML field, what skills do you believe are going to be the most important for them over the next couple of years? Um, Similar questions, but um, nonetheless slightly different in terms of their context. So Nisha, um, I need to pick on somebody uh, because everybody put this forward as a topic they wanted to discuss. So um, ladies first, do you want to just give us your thoughts on, on those two questions and we'll take the conversation from there?
1: Yeah, it's uh, really a very timely question, Chris. Um, In fact, I was telling you, I have two wheels. My 13-year-old asks me this question every day. Hey, mom, what are the skills? And she started learning, of course, uh, technology at age six. So she's going to be far ahead of me, of course. Um, But it's a fascinating question because of the time we are in. Um, And if you look at, if I take a big step back and look at even um, last 10 years, Uh, What has happened is the timing that it takes for us to build any technology is just thinking. Of course, uh, no podcast or talk goes by without talking what pandemic has taught us, which is the world is shrunk. Everybody is talking to each other, right? And this topic of AI, ML, the skill set of the future, definitely is teaching us um, a lot more of what we need. Um, so I'll answer your question in, in in probably three buckets. One, I just want to go to the history, right? Uh, we have seen this topic of AI from uh, the winter of AI, summer of AI, and all, all the topics have been talked about. And I was just fascinated when I um, uh, you know first read about Alan Turing a couple of years ago, where he came up with the fascinating you know model where it, literally you know he saved the whole uh, world But then the same model could not play chess. And we said, oh gosh, wow, it really really is not working. Uh, And we put a lot of things in the context of what this AIML and topic can do. And of course, um, fast forward from Alan Turing time to today, we are talking about the skill sets is definitely heavy coding because when I think about who's building all this it's humans who are building, right? So whether it's Python, Java, R. C, that's the advice that I gave to my 13 year old this morning, as it's Java is the language to learn, right? There is definitely, though, the ML side, which I think what will happen is we will commoditize uh, in shortly, right? Like uh, TensorFlow, PyTorch, um, of course, a- Amazon, everybody's coming up with their own versions of how to make ML as a service uh, concept, okay. right? Very short order. I think data is a huge skill set here and now, right? The context of what we work in, in this AIML topic, data has to be the huge um, level. Uh, the business context we are working in, right? Different industries require different context setting and different boundaries of domain or how to handle the data, what's the domain specific, um, but when we go into the future, so that's the third part to your answer. When you go into the future, I think, this is my personal opinion, what will happen is these coding skills will become more like a click button. We will not need as much of coding skills in the future. I think in the future, what will be needed is really our ability to ask right questions and do more snoozling end to end and more really empathizing with the situation we might be dealing with and coming up with the right set of um, responses to that. Because I think what we do today with Java C++, probably even this Um, and that's, that's my, that's my belief. I think the generations to come will have to understand how to work collaboratively and do knowledge share more broader, again, bringing it back to the global context that we are working in. I think this will become more and more important as we share our learnings with the rest of the globe. So that's my answer to the case here.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Nisha. Um. Uh, Shamir, what uh, are your thoughts on the, this topic, and maybe add into to what Nisha shared there initially?
3: Yeah, I think uh, Nisha, what you shared at the end there, specifically around understanding from almost a first principles basis, um, how to think about problems, think deeply about problems, and fundamentally, regardless of what level of abstraction, you know, coding languages get to, right? We get from assembly and, you know, C and C plus plus and Java, then Python and inevitably chat GPT, right? Um, you get to a point where you just get to a higher level of abstraction, but ultimately it is that ability to ask the right questions. And the direction that machine learning, computer vision, data engineering, all of this is moving is closer and closer to real time. And our ability to solve those problems in real time in a way that ultimately serves customers with speed of the system serving those inferences, and two, consumes data in a way that's ethical, clean, clear of bias, and built in a way that safeguards against engendering further bias will be fundamental. Um, I think especially as AI continues to emerge, because the part of AI that we don't often talk about is that it's based on historical data. And historical data, whether we like it or not, is cleaned or um, handled in ways by people ultimately and so it's incumbent upon those creating the models to start thinking through those problems early and often to ensure that that bias isn't f- further engendered in those models
0: cool um, um harry um over to yourself what uh what would you be what would your thoughts be on this topic
2: sure i think nisha stole a lot of my thunder but you know it's okay <laughs> yes <laughs> so just 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 to build on what uh what, what both of my co-panelists said that um, you know, I, I, I want to go out and talk about uh, something that I, you know, listened to recently, uh, which was very pertinent to this. So I was on a, listening to a podcast where the guest was, uh, and it was topic was AI, guest was the provost of the University of Florida. And I believe, you know, a few years ago, one of the co-founders of NVIDIA, who happened to be a University of Florida alumni, Donated a, a chunk of money for them to build an AI-centric data center, and he was basically talking about, you know, how how uh, they are looking to provide AI-related education, not just to computer science or you know engineering students, but more broadly, all the way from school of agriculture, to school of business, etc. So, so again, going back to some of the some of the things that were already said, you know, I think. Programming languages is table stakes, right? It's basic, whether it's Python or whatever the language of the day is. I think we definitely need some of those skills, but I think Nisha hit upon the two other things that you know I would probably want to put a bow on, right? One is the critical role that data plays in AI, and you know the value of data quality, data integration, you know, uh, data augmentation, all of those things. Because, you know, uh, typically, unless you work in a large enterprise setting, um, you probably are not exposed to some of the challenges, right, in terms of data silos, you know, data fragmentation, and then I can go on and on and on. So I I think I can't emphasize enough in terms of having that understanding of data in a larger context, right, not just ability to do SQL queries, but, you know, understanding. The role of data in a larger in a larger context. The other piece, again, I think Nisha alluded to, which is domain skills. Um, my own personal experience, regardless of whether it is is related or anything related to any software engineering discipline, is you know we we, we tend to hire so- smart software engineers, you know, uh, but it takes us you know a ton of time to get them familiar with the domain skills that we need. And that too, the domain that I'm part of, which is healthcare, is fairly complex. Um, you know, don't ask me why it is so complex. It's just complex, right? So uh, those domain skills are going to be key, right? And they'll continue to be key because you've got to be able to apply those domain models on whatever you're building on. And of course, last but not the least, I think Inisha alluded to the soft skills part of it, and I can't emphasize that enough in fact, when I said at my introduction that I'm very passionate about you know mentoring talent, um, I built you know uh, large teams of scale, right across cross cultural, you know, cross across country boundaries and so on. And I think it all comes down to you know those soft skills, right? It, it it's it's collaboration, you asking questions, having a problem solving mindset, you know, making the appropriate uh. We're bringing the appropriate solutions etc right those are going to be key, and that's the only way right we can coexist with artificial intelligence and use it to enhance productivity right as opposed to all everything that you hear in the press in terms of you know a is going to take away your jobs i don't know is going to be it's going to be you know mankind or humankind versus ai and all of those things right not 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 wanting to get into that rabbit hole but i think if we really want to coexist and use this as a productivity productivity enhancement tool, i think soft skills is going to be super so that would be my uh answer to your question yeah
0: brilliant um and you mentioned about um uh productivity there harry so one of the questions you put forward was how can we leverage ai to improve productivity across the data engineering life cycle so um, do you want to um give a bit more context around that um subject, and then we can we can move on from that
2: sure. sure, sure absolutely so if, if if you think about the data engineering life cycle right um it, it's basically traditionally we've defined it as uh, like the prolonging that is required right for any downstream you know obviously everybody talks about machine learning and you know data scientists and so on. But in an enterprise, right, the downstream application could be uh, much more than that, right? It could be for analytics, it could be for reporting, it could be even, you know, on real-time channels, right? Like like uh, a mobile application rendering data on, you know, a portal, etc. Right. So if you think about the uh, life cycle from data acquisition, to, you know, curing the data, um. And and then making it available, you know, providing data access through APIs or whatever technology that you use. I think I want to harp on a couple of pain points that we have seen from all our projects, and you know how we think AI can actually provide us uh, exponential improvement. You know when it when it comes to these pain points across the data pipeline, right? I think the underlying um, key is the quality of data. Right, data quality, data governance. In an organization like where I am, right, which is fairly legacy. That's, that's a nice way of saying you know it's old, old. So uh, we have uh, technologies going back to mainstream, you know, and you know over the years we jump into whichever technology that is uh, pertinent at that point in time, right? Uh, from databases to the big data ecosystem cloud based solutions now and so on so over the years right our data has been replicated has been transformed etc without a very robust governance process so a lot of our projects you know don't meet the intended uh, business outcome because of uh, you know inadequate data quality right so i think that is huge from my perspective and i think uh, you know applying ai ml to do the work of uh, data validation data security you know i i i want to get into security separately but more like a data stewardship role that is typically to, in today's world you know uh, it is a role that exists but i think that is a role that is best done by ai right you can build rules engine validate data etc and if you can get you know x 5x improvements in data quality i think it's quite drive success of projects with time. So that was one aspect I want to get in. Uh, the second aspect is, of course, you know, we, we all know, uh, again, DevSecOps, uh, CACD, whatever you want to call it, along with observability, right, um, using tools. Okay. So there, again, you know, we've seen already a, playing a big, big role in terms of identifying historical trends, you know, hopefully predicting some outages, etc. Anomaly detection, you know, just just in the data pipeline, I'm not even talking about anomaly detection as a use case, right, in the business context. So all of these areas, you know, I see uh, AI playing a big role that in turn should significantly improve productivity on some of these data projects, which in turn will be a big lift to so our business partners, when it comes to these downstream uh, business use cases that we support all the time. Thanks, Harish. Um, Shamir, would you
0: would you say those two areas, sort of kind of stewardship or governance of data, plus um, that DevSecOps um, area, are two good opportunities to to leverage off AI to to improve the pipeline, or would you say that? Um, you know, you've, you've got
3: some ideas around other, other parts that could be influenced better. I think those are two enormous opportunities. I mean, your models are only ever as good as the data itself. Um, but I think of this question in two parts, there's how will AI improve situations in data engineering, data platforms, data science, machine learning, and then how will data platforms themselves be influenced by AI? So. I think the first question was answered fairly well as far as the data quality, but the other side of it is we're seeing a fundamental paradigm shift in how leadership at many large companies are going to look at AI, right? In terms of realizing value from machine learning, AI, um, and capabilities of each organization, there are a small subset of companies and folks today who have the expertise to drive that capability in organizations. And I think the demand for AI ML capability in organizations is going to grow exponentially over the next couple of years to decade. And I think leadership across large companies are going to start expecting AI capabilities, personalization, recommendation, et cetera, as table stakes. Today it's not. I I can say confidently you go to most Fortune 500 companies, the expectations for AI ML typically ends at simple forecasting tasks. But they will grow in terms of the complexity expected at the baseline level uh, to be competitive in the market. And I think that shift will change engineering, recruiting, and behavior far more than necessarily AI tooling will change the process of making models themselves.
1: If I may, Chris, I will take us in a slightly tangent, but it is very applicable.
0: Please. yeah. Off you, off you go. <laughs>
1: and- and we are actually addressing this in the book as well. Um, so definitely totally agree with my co-paralless uh, here though. The direction I want to go is there was a model, uh, 1988 back off, uh, did this model. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I see folks on the zoom here or teams, they're nodding their head. Okay. So. I think there is definitely the the cleaning up of the unstructured data, that is definitely there. The you know, making sense of all that data, the amount of data we are collecting, um making sure that pertinent data is there to do your modeling definitely is there. Uh transformation right? Like all these things I think it's very valid for us to say I can have a, and the whole pipeline can be standardized. I think where um, I think Harin, you were going earlier. And again, slippery slope to walk, but there is definitely the wisdom part of the data. Because I I say this, like often that data is a three-letter word. Uh, One is of course repeated three-letter word, but it is complex because the context it sits in, the business it sits in, and more important, the wisdom that that connection of data has while lot of these things, productivity, uh, wise, we can definitely get the AI to deploy, I think that's the part. And again, if we draw maybe 50 years out or maybe even sooner, how much of this will be commodity because today, what is difficult, will it be difficult in the future is a question, right? And I think that's where my head goes on this topic that you're asking Chris, because when I think of productivity, right, every. So here, humans have done it so well. Every so year, we come up with something to drive our productivity higher. And this is where um, I recently did a talk at the real Data Summit. I talked about it, like humans, eight billion on, of us on the earth, we have so much creativity in this small thing which is called brain, with our um, topmost layerion. I think that creativity is endless. So from a productivity perspective, we will keep coming up with reasons of how we should make it product, Because by the time all this evolves into, okay, I can code and all that data is going to be huge and we will find, okay, what about data is so hard? Like you correctly said, Hari, I also feel like this domain knowledge thing is so hard to impart, right? And at some point that will become like the, uh, so I like what uh, Eckhart did in 1988. And it's still so valid because the, it's really the eye of the beholder problem with the data, right? It's only the people who know how to, yeah, it doesn't yet, because it doesn't have all the components that is needed in you know, order because like you, I think somebody was saying it is off this data set, which is almost like captured data set, it, it doesn't have that judgment and other things that is needed. But Chris, that's kind of my detour to your question a little bit.
0: Thanks for that, Nisha. Has anybody got anybody, anything else, sorry, that they would be keen to share on this particular topic before uh, we move on?
3: I will say in in the short term, one of the amazing things with things like GitHub Copilot and chat GPT is even the last couple of days saying, Hey, write me a query that does X or, you know, give me a template that's able to do some subset of, you know, operations. And then being able to work off of that as a starting point has tremendously increased productivity a tiny microcosm um but i'm sure that's only going to continue to expand in in a crazy crazy way because i think the verticals in which it'll be applicable will continue to become more and more refined
0: agree yeah i'm i'm also very surprised we got so far into this discussion with uh without chat gpt being mentioned um i would have uh i would have lost money if i put a bet on that but i'm not a i'm definitely not a betting man so uh um now now let's move on uh to a topic that shamir put forward which was Where do you see the biggest gaps in integration or the evolution of MLOps in creating production-grade AI ML systems? So over to yourself to, again, give us some context to putting that forward, Shamir.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, A lot of what we see today as far as productionizing ML systems um, is is a hybrid working arrangement between data scientists, data engineers, um, and some element of software engineering that plays into it. And over the last several years data science was the hot term everyone was like i want to be a data scientist data science data science and so there's a tremendous amount of talent around putting together um clean data and models that are able to you know solve the problem but where i continue to see the gap at least as far as talent is concerned is the ability to bridge the gap between devops and and secops and actually serving those models and the software engineering portion Combined with a fundamental understanding of machine learning systems and models, that domain knowledge of, okay, I know where I can push and pull and remove the capability uh, to make this a more functional system. Um, and so, my question, I guess, back to the panel here and the team here is, how are you guys thinking about ML ops and talent around ML ops and making these production-grade teams that kind of bridge that gap continuously? And where do you see those gaps yourselves today? Good, good
0: question. Yeah, yeah. Who would, uh, I it. Yep. Nisha, yeah. um, I I, like... <laughs> I I heard you more than Harry. Sorry, Harry, <laughs> uh, over to you, Nisha.
1: <laughs> a lot. Um, so I, I, I think that's a great question because I feel like these are widgets that will have to be put together, like the puzzle pieces, right? Um, that is, like you said, MLOps, ops, DevOps, ModelOps, Sec- SecOps, like but at the end of the day if we think about and make, take a big step back what we are doing with any of these ml ai is really uh hyper hyper value and at the other side of the whatever it is like we were talking about how humans has used it for creativity for many many things right whether it's autonomous cars or whatever it is i think on the other side It is all about the value to the end user. So we will have to think about how these topics are not like separate. Um, And and of course, bigger the organizations, they are constructs, disable that, and enables a lot of silos. You both are also from big companies. Um, I think connecting the dots and having somebody who's the champion for all of the value add has to be an important aspect into how we tackle the production grade of it. And then um, the second one I would say is, and then pass it over to Ari is, I think we also need to figure out the time to market around, um, you know, what does it take to develop things and put it in production? Because by the time we are developing and putting it in production, the trust of the stakeholder is lost. So, oh yeah, you said you were gonna do it and you're gonna, you know, deliver X percentage value. But, you know, it takes us months and months and months I often joke because I'm a girl, I can make this joke. Nine months, I can actually deliver to babies. Can we actually figure this out faster? The human brain is developed in nine months, right? But I think there is a combination of allowing users to do tests early on and have that toggle, pizza toggle, so that we can actually test this faster and go to market faster and not boil the ocean with all the steps that are needed in the, of course, regulated industry of We'll have a different mix of approvals and everything checkbox that is needed. But I think we'll have to figure out the speed to market question and our ability to test those faster because that's what DevOps get for us. And then we said, okay, that's not enough. And then we are going to a different uh, different level now. So that's, that's my answer to the pause here. Hurry over to you.
2: Thanks. Yeah. So, you know, I, I want to kind of piggyback on all of that Star- as well. That has already been said, right? Uh, what we have tried to solve, to some extent, is you know, um, you know, there, there there's this other buzzword in terms of, of uh, data democratization, right, or data as a service. So you know, can we, in, you know, increasingly provide our self-service models to our data scientists, right, with automatic provisioning, appropriate access rights. With the appropriate, you know, data anonymity, I'm I'm, I'm almost listing down all the challenges around it, you know, but but that's one direction we have tried to take, you know, because if you, if you democratize data, and make access to data, you know, uh, more easier, right, then that's going to solve some of those talent uh, gaps that you know Shamir was alluding to. I'm not suggesting that we've been hugely successful with this, particularly you know, with data anonymity and, and healthcare. You have all these HIPAA regulations. We also operate internationally, so there are country-specific privacy restrictions and all that, right? So today, data provisioning uh, in a large enterprise can be fairly painful. So that's one uh, approach we are trying to take, you know, making the data available as a service. You know, you can subscribe to certain domains or business entities, and, uh, you know, we serve that data to you. So that's that's one tack that we've taken. Uh, but going back to the talent question, right, the, the, I look at it as a Venn diagram of software engineering, you know, maybe DevOps, and, you know, some data analyst or a data scientist skill set. That is going to be hard to find. That, that is a challenge, right? Because a lot of people, uh, like Shamir said, data scientist was, was a very hot uh, uh, role or, you know, very sexy role. But I think people who do the data scientist or the background that they have uh, not necessarily um, have software engineering or you know uh, or devsecops kind of uh, mindset right leave people on team having the talent or the skills. So uh, it's going to be hard, you know it's it's very similar to in the traditional world you know we used to have business analysts and analysts and uh, you know software engineers or systems analysts in all of those roles. So it's going to be hard to, hard to get the blend of expertise. So that's why, you know, we try to take the tact of, you know, making it more, uh, available and, uh, and, and like I said, you know, it's, it's still a journey, you know, I, I I wouldn't say we've been successful at it, but that's something we're attempting to do. Okay. Thanks,
0: Harry. Um, Shamir, I appreciate you put the question forward, but how would you, how would you personally answer it? And, uh, what would you like to <laughs> add on to, to what Nisha and Harry have shared?
3: Yeah, I mean. To some degree I feel like we're looking for unicorns sometimes. You know, you're you're asking for someone who has expertise in data engineering and software engineering and machine learning all together and can put together this perfect, you know, candidate that can now do all of the things. And ultimately where I found success is taking individuals who are really strong in one domain and educating them in the other domain sufficiently so that they're capable. And two ensuring that they have great communication skills. Um, so we're our MLOps engineers really come from is, hey, this person has a degree in machine learning, but they started out as a software engineer, right? They maybe specialized a little bit later. And now because they have the understanding of the domain knowledge, they can jump in with their software background and say, well, how do I architect this particular pipeline and uh, this MLOps you know, capability? Um, so that, that's my two cents. That's where you find those folks is you almost have to train them. I don't know if many folks inherently exist who don't already have a ton of experience, right? You, Fresh candidates are hard to find who already have MLOps, and I think uh, schools perhaps could start benefiting from offering classes or courses that specialize a bit more on MLOps itself. There's a lot of focus on modeling, and the reality of most machine learning projects is that the model development portion of it is like 10%. 90% of your time is spent cleaning the data, building the pipelines, talking to stakeholders, and doing everything else around it. It's a tiny fraction that's actually the modeling. But that's where all of academia is focused. So.
0: Yeah, good point. Um, I can ser- certainly relate to clients looking for unicorns um, um, and us trying to, in turn, find them ourselves. Um, I think you're right. I think the depending on if you've got three technical verticals, the chances of finding somebody that, that is particularly strong in each of those is, is few or far between. Um, or or you, you might find the odd person if you're fortunate enough. But in terms of scale...
2: Sorry. Now, if you work with me, you know I would, uh, would be dealing with not just unicorns but purple unicorns. <laughs> <laughs>
3: don't
0: don't put me off working with you in the future, Harry. Please. <laughs> um, but I think one one thing that Shamir mentioned there is, softer skills are much harder to develop and teach. You know, I think that's that's typically something that people have fundamentally to a certain extent or not. Um, so. Maybe taking somebody, as you said, that's particularly strong in one of those um, technical areas that has that um, softer skills um, that can obviously be applied um, in uh, in the, in their work, and then training them up um, um, and they' dem- demonstrated the ability to pick things up quickly is a good route to to go down, particularly for trying to hire people. Um, and is I will scale.
3: I will take umbridge with one point. I think it is possible to teach the softer skills, but it requires mentorship, and I think. Oftentimes with software engineering, machine learning, data science, all of this, we over on building out the technical skill set, but don't sufficiently focus on mentoring and coaching our teams and teaching them the soft skills and exposing them enough, enough by bringing them to meetings and giving them that, that opportunity. Um, but it is absolutely coachable. It just takes a lot more effort to do. And oftentimes the yeah. signal to know it's happened is a little bit harder to see.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think, um, as you said, it's going to take more time investment and a longer time duration to get from, from A to B probably, um, you know, um, in terms of the that MLOps space, has anybody got anything else that they wanted to, um, to talk about?
1: I'm going to chime in to the last point uh, that you made, Shamir. I think the skill sets that we need to teach all the way into the schooling system is that about curiosity and that about learning. So the speed at which we are going, we will have to figure out how to keep learning. It's fascinating, right? Um, I started by my, teaching myself computers. I had a master's microbiology, but started computers back in 98. Um, C++ was the first thing I learned. Um, and talking of legacy, Harry, last year I also learned mainframe because that was the need of the day. But I learned all those and now I'm, you know, another thing, different set of topics and a PAI, whatever. I'm not a born like engineer, like I'm not, I'm taught engineer actually. I've learned all my life. So I think these days, skills that are most valued is that of curiosity and that of learning, unlearning, and relearning as many times. And it's a cycle, right? Whether it's sub skills or as we call them, tech skills or whatever we call them. I think we need to figure out how to coach the entrance into the market to constantly do that and not get stuck to you know 30 years of mainframe that's all i know and and i've never done and MLOps, data apps devops like those are all segments of very similar things if you can get it right they're not very different you're still talking about the same way. I have to get the data i have to munch the data i have to write the model i have to put it in production i have to test it along the way and by the way when doing that I have to make sure the stakeholder gets the value that they were looking for. Right? Many of the engineer engineers that I hire, um, they need to be taught that whole life cycle of the value add, right? So I think that's where the we need to take the education system as well as our workforce.
0: Yeah, brilliant. Thanks for that, Nisha. Harry, um to add on on your side.
2: Yeah. So, you know, just just to continue on on the, you know, talent and the talent development topic, right? So I think Nisha made a great point at the end, right? A lot of times software engineers, right? They're building code um, or, you know, they're working on a project, right? I think what is important for them is to understand the end-to-end in terms of, you know, this project is part of a, you know, a larger business initiative and this is the business value that it is going to derive. And this is how my clients our customers are going to benefit right and that big picture unfortunately you know gets lost it is all about okay this is a the, you've got to get this done by the end of this pi or this print you know uh, and and they're just racing against time you know trying to, to trying to get everything coded and tested and getting it production but i think the moment they start seeing you know this end-to-end picture i think it make a big difference in terms of their own ability to look at things differently. And then, you know, that will drive to some of this uh, learning that, you know, that Shamir was talking about, right? They they'd be more open to learning, you know, other skills which are considered, you know, kind of outside of them or outside of Yeah. Um
0: Yeah, and I think that's is tied in as um Shamir was talking about that that mentorship, that coaching piece, I think kind of, you know, working in a, an environment and, and for somebody that's going to give you that bigger picture perspective, um, it's going to shift your, your mindset and, and the way you're looking at that particular project, et cetera. And then, you know, hopefully that stands you in strongest stead moving forward for future projects, et cetera. Um, cool. So anything else that, um, people wanted to bring up as a topic to, to discuss today, we've got a bit more time left. Um, that we can fill um, on anything in particular.
2: I, I think you had suggested, you know, maybe we can talk about some future of, uh, uh, I don't know if it was future of AI or future, uh, you know, arts in general. But I think I kind we kind of covered that under, uh, you know, um, some of the other topics covered. So uh, so I think I'm good.
1: If I may, now. The one thing I want to talk about, then maybe, and pose it as a question, not as a answer. I've been, I've been thinking about it quite a bit because of the microbiology neuroscience background and this topic of AI. What has been brewing in my head is, uh, what is one era out for humanity? And this is a little bit out in the future. Like if you see our progression, we are used to have this large brain, right? thousand years. Oh, and then you look at how humanity has I think Sapien he wrote a wonderful topic about this, right? And as we migrate next ten years, twenty years from here on, um, what is our contribution into that legacy? Humanity as a as a in general, and what, what is our purpose into this? Like right? tech, of course, is becoming easier. We have talked about that in the podcast. What would we say to the younger generation of what is the human legacy, and what are how are you thinking about it? Uh, so that's one question I've been thinking about it. I don't have the answers, but it's a lot to uh, process. But any thoughts from anybody on that?
3: I I have some thoughts. Um, Jeff Hinton a couple of days ago was talking about the concept of AGI, you know, artificial general intelligence, and he said at this point, after seeing some of the advances with GPT-4 and performance of some of these systems at scale, he used to believe AGI was 50 years out. Now he thinks it'll be feasible within 20 to 30 years. And so the more you think about how AI will inherently do what software did, software is eating everything, used to be the saying, right? Well, soon enough, we'll be saying AI is eating everything as far as, you know, skill sets and, and work that's done. And I fall back a little bit on what you said earlier about human creativity is truly infinite, right? You know, you ask someone, um, a colleague of mine gave a great example. He says, you know, someone's driving a car and they cut across eight lanes and, you know, swerve and go off off the ramp, uh, exit off the expressway. What do you think happened? And you ask 10, 15 different people, they'll come up with 20 different stories, you know, about what could have happened, right? You ask an AI model, it will almost always land on a set of two or three or four different suggestions about what's going on. But inherent in each of those explanations, you'll find a deep amount of empathy. You know, oh, they must be getting to the hospital. Something's going on. Someone's hurt, right? And I think ultimately it'll be our ability to connect with one another and understand other humans and human problems and leverage the advances in these systems to apply them to solve those human problems. Because no matter what we think of in terms of uh, pure capability of AI, ultimately it's still drained on historical data and new problems will continue to emerge. And even if it's generalizable, there'll be a limit to its creativity to some extent. And maybe I'll be wrong one day when it comes to creativity. But I haven't truly seen a model that's able to behave in a purely creative way, in a way that a human often can.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, if I may, right? I think think I'm more with you, Shamir, on that. So if you really look at, you know, the evolution of uh, computing, right? Not even, Nisha talked about the evolution of uh, Homo sapiens, but I'm saying, you know, in the 80s, When we had PCs, you know, it is just an IBM 360 now, you know, on the desktop. And again, I think I'm sure people freaked out at that time. And then in the 90s, when we had internet, right, so it may move from computation to communication. And again, you know, internet did change a lot of things, right, and we adapted, and the bottom line is it improved productivity. It made life easier, you know, globalization, everything that it created, right, or it provided that opportunity. Um... So maybe I'm naive, but, you know, I'm looking at AI, you know, on those lines, rather than, you know, uh, like I said earlier, right, humankind versus uh, AI, you know, kind of, I don't think that would be the case, right, there are clearly, uh, at least in my mind, uh, things that humans are capable of doing that we don't think AI can do it, you know, maybe, maybe they can in 50 years, who knows, but uh, I'm I'm not able to you know kind of visualize that so I I stay optimistic on uh, you know this being a tool on the positive side right uh, as as opposed to you know, that uh, but smarter people than me like you know Elon Musk for example I think he's come out and said we should put a pause on AI research right along with a bunch of other people so so maybe we are missing something that you know they are seeing but that is uh, <laughs> that's. That's fine, be honest.
0: Thanks for that. And um, looping back around to yourself, Nisha, you mentioned that this is a topic that you've been given quite a lot of thought to yourself personally, so um, do you want to share where you're up to with that that thought process?
1: <laughs> that was asked in the <laughs> talk also. I, I don't think I have the answers, but I have a call to action here. Um, And for all, all of us, it's a call to action. Um. We don't know. None of us know the future, but if we just learn from, we do retros right in in our everyday world too. We do retros. If we even do the retro of last, um, yeah, I don't know, 50 years even, right? Um, and we look at where, at the speed we are doing things, at the speed at which we are evolving and and everything, um, it comes at a cost, right? I think it was Amazon CEO in the AWS event who said, with the speed at which we are collecting data, it's going to take 40% of world economy to pay for this data. Um, and all this data, by the way, is needed for that AI, right? of course we are creative beings, so we'll figure out how to, I mean, Microsoft is coming up with storing data on DNA and Intel is coming up with neuromorphic computing and all that stuff is happening because we are learning from the nature, from the human being, right? Um, and the call to action is one Chris, that we as individuals, wherever, I mean, we touch many lives in multiple roles that we all play. How can we give purpose to each one of us that we really take this uh, thoughtful approach of the speed at which we are going, right? And the speed of everything that and. And sometimes the speed comes with its own cost. I mean, we know that, right? Speed limits in the United States have taught us if we go above speed, what happens? So I think we just need to be very aware and more conscious in our day today day than we have, I mean, last couple of years that we have been running at. Uh, of course, call to action is, of course, many things, but even if we take for a day, the rules that we play and pause for a moment to make sure the speed at which we are going, we are not causing the ecosystem to be, you know, <laughs> to be impacting. I think that's my call to action. Again, don't know the answers to the future. Future is future, will happen, whatever, but we are here and now. And so the call to action is more for here and now. How do we be more responsible?
0: Brilliant. Well, um, a communal call to action is a, is probably a great point to uh to lead the podcast to today so that was wrapped up very very nicely nisha thank you um i'm always keen to get a takeaway or two from from each guest that joins us on the the exchange podcast so um harry what would be your key um takeaways from today
2: sure so i i think the um headline takeaway from today's podcast is uh you know AI and, you know, humankind are going to be coexisting, you know, it's going to in- increase productivity or help us uh, uh, help us all, not just from a data engineering standpoint, but, you know, more broadly, uh, you know, AI is probably going to be a net positive to, to humankind as a whole across a variety of uh, spectrums, right? And uh, I, think, I think particularly pertinent is, you know, some of the recent... Uh, analysis that i've seen in terms of uh, this ai driven revolution you know uh, improving productivity and thereby increasing gdps of nations and all that so even if you look at it from that lens right um as as it drives gdp growth you know it brings more people out of poverty and so on and so forth so those are all some of the things that i'm hoping that you know uh, which, which Uh, I'm optimistic that, you know, this is one of our ways um, to for the betterment of, you know, humanity a support, right? Uh, Across all of those nations, right? Developing nations uh, where you have enormous amount of uh, challenges, right? Poverty being one of them, you know, uh, and and then the whole host of issues. So um, I know I stay optimistic, and I think some of my co-panelists have kind of, you know, uh, made... uh, or, kind of, reiterated a similar kind of sentiment in my
0: opinion. Perfect. Thanks, Harry. Um, Shamir, moving on to yourself, what uh, will you be taking from today's uh, podcast?
3: For me, the most pertinent or salient point is definitely the domain knowledge and human empathy portion of everything. I think that was the most consistent theme, regardless of how quickly things are advancing, regardless of how many different uh, context changes data goes through or systems grow through you ultimately come back to the ability to connect with other humans understand the concept within that particular domain and work um with others so even as ai continues to advance i think that's going to be the core of all machine learning it's the ability to actually apply it using empathy thank you
0: and then finally on to nisha what would be your key takeaways
1: yeah um chris First of all and and thanks to and major too i listen to so many podcasts all the time, I think this ability to bring people together and learn from each other—that's just phenomenal. So thank you so much. Keep doing that and keep shining. It'd be one thing I would say. I think second big thing for me, is what I summarized behind the line is validating what I want to do for the community, which is how do I pass on this knowledge of curiosity, learning, relearning because regardless of the topic at hand. And today we are talking AI tomorrow, I'm sure we'll talk of some other tech gadget out there, but we need to constantly keep making sure our school systems, our education system, our kids at home are picking up these topics very with a curious mindset and with a learning mindset. Um, And the last one I would say is uh, more about, again, more about future, we are all very optimist technologists, and it's so nice to meet all of you. But I think we have to continuously look for places where we can pause every day and make sure we make thoughtful approach to any tech revolution on there.
0: Brilliant. Thank you very much. And um, thank you, everyone, again, for, for joining me today. Um, I've really enjoyed the discussion. So thank you, Harry. Thank you, Nisha. Thank you, Shamir. Um, this has been the evolution exchange USA podcast. Um, we hope to see you next time. If you are hiring for data or software engineers or looking for a new opportunity yourself, do please feel free to reach out to us here at evolution, or if you or anyone, you know, would like to be featured on a future podcast, you can drop me a message too. Thank you very much.